0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, if you've got a Bible open up to Luke chapter 12 this morning, stand with me if you would, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, he began to speak to his disciples first. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those um, who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask, God, that you would speak into our lives about this this very wicked thing called hypocrisy. That you would help us, Lord, to see through the deceit of our own hearts, Lord. How we want to be patted on the back and how we value maybe, uh, men's thoughts of us more than we do you. Would you help us, Lord, to see truth this morning? Would you speak to us, God? We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my message this morning is Guarding Against Hypocrisy. Guarding Against Hypocrisy. Now, that's what we find in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Jesus is warning his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrite, the word, it comes from the Greek theater. It comes from the idea of wearing masks, changing masks. You've seen... The comedy masks, have you not? With the happy face and the, and the sad face, right? That is hypocrite in the Greek. It is literally masks, changing masks. And it was used to describe somebody who was putting on a mask and playing a part. That's what the word means. Unfortunately, the hypocrite mask has made its way outside of the theater and has infiltrated all walks of life and all areas including the church we've seen it time and time again where popular pastors teachers influential Christian men who have stood up against something whatever it might be and they stand vocally against it and yet when the curtain is pulled back on their own life there it is the very thing that they spoke out against if you haven't caught on it would seem that the people that are, not not across the board, but it would seem that sometimes the thing that people are the most vocal about are the very things that they're struggling with in their own lives. We've seen it all over the place. We've seen it in pastors here recently in the last couple of years where they've stood on, the, taught on the purity of marriage and yet they're having affairs. That's hypocrisy. Jesus is warning His disciples, now believers, about this leaven about this wickedness that it is possible and most probable that you and I are going to struggle with this very thing and he wants his disciples to understand that we have to guard ourselves against hypocrisy because hypocrisy will keep people away from Jesus including you Oh, he, Jesus saw it when he was there in Jerusalem and he was invited over to the Pharisee's house. We just got done talking about that a, lot, a couple weeks ago. If you hadn't been with us, you can pick the message up on our website. But Jesus, after healing a man that was, after casting a demon out of a man that was mute, was invited over to the house of a Pharisee for dinner. He was dining in the Big D, and I don't mean Dallas, he was dining in darkness. And Jesus went to this man's house and he intentionally went with the idea of revealing truth to them that he would shine some light in their darkness because he was talking about being the light and not hiding the light, but letting the light come forth. The light is Jesus Christ and we're called to let him shine through us in, in, in the world. Well, what ends up happening is they, they're going through this very ritualistic ceremonial cleansing that they do before men to make them feel so holy and righteous and appear so holy and righteous. Jesus calls it hypocrisy. And he intentionally goes before them to reveal the hypocrisy in their hearts. And he gives them six woes. He throws out six allegations of hypocrisy against these men. Talk about some Light, uh, fireworks at the dinner party jesus let him have it he said woe to you six times to the scribes and Pharisees. and as he revealed the wrong he showed them the, the hypocrisy in their own hearts you do this but then you say this but then you do this in your own heart six times he was dealing with hypocrisy hypocrisy was everywhere in israel at the time when jesus surfaced religion was surface level it was not a heart level there was no relationship with man and God and I would say that that has continued to be the the, the spirit in which some would worship God even today with a heart of religious worship that has no relational connection whatsoever and God, Jesus Christ in the flesh would call that hypocrisy and he would say that is in vain It needs to be at the heart level. God is a God that looks at the heart and he cares about the heart. He's not, and and if your heart is connected to God, your outward actions will show it. He's not simply interested in this facade that we can put on these masks and we can pretend to be something that we're not because he sees right through that. He is not a surface level God. He is a cellular level at the heart level God that is interested in your life and what's going on in here. Because he wants to heal you from the inside out. Well, you can imagine that the dinner party didn't go well. Jesus wasn't invited to stay for dessert, of course. They got angry with him and they kicked him out. Essentially, they, the thing just blew up, man. They started really accusing Jesus. They were trying to get him to say stuff so that they could hold it against him. I believe if, if I, were, I were to paint the scene, I would believe that as Jesus was saying, okay, I think I'm done here, and he was walking out the door, I would believe that they were following him and they were yelling at him and they were ripping their clothes and they were throwing up dust, all dramatic as actors do, Amen. And they're following him down the road and what happens is there's a crowd and his disciples and he reconvenes and people gather because people like drama. Because people like drama. Uh, Jesus, it says here that there was in the meantime, that's what it means, after Jesus had met with these guys at this dinner party, then as Jesus was reconvening with his disciples, they apparently weren't there, but as he came together with them, what ends up happening is Thousands upon thousands of people start to gather because they see this great commotion. Now but in the Greek, the word thousands literally means 10,000. There was upwards of at least 10,000 people that gathered together in that place in that moment. And Jesus does not focus on the multitude. Jesus draws his eye not to the thousands but to the 12. And he says to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of it. They had everyone fooled. They had everyone in that, 10,000 people there were fooled that these religious leaders were righteous and Jesus says, you're as unclean as the worst sinner in this place today. Jesus would say these religious men were as, were as sinful as a Gentile dog. They were that sinful. They were that unclean because they were, they were uh, performing on the outside while being wicked on the inside. And, and they're still unclean before God. So Jesus begins to warn his disciples about the leaven. The leaven. The leaven. You know what leaven is, yes? Yeast, right? How yeast works, you know, is that it just takes a little bit. You put it into some dough. And before long, it is permeated through the entire lump. And it is affected that lump, just a little bit of it. Leaven in the Bible is always associated with wickedness. And it's always associated with sin. Jesus is saying there's leaven in the Pharisees. And it might just be a little. But let me tell you something. It affects them greatly because... Yeast does not just sit dormant. It spreads. And He's telling His disciples, you beware of that. The leaven, of course, He's speaking about, I told you, is hypocrisy. Jesus is telling His disciples to guard against hypocrisy because hypocrisy will be something that they're confronted with and tempted with their entire lives. And that goes for us. We are His disciples today if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to you as well. He's saying, beware of hypocrisy in your own life. Don't try and fake it till you make it. Don't do it. Not when it comes to spiritual things. There's too much at risk. There is way too much at risk for you to do that. And God loves you so much that he won't allow you to pretend that you are something that you are not. He won't allow you to put on a mask and act like everything's great when when everything's falling apart. He will eventually bring it out in the forefront because God is a healer. And because God is a savior and a redeemer and he wants to save us and redeem us and heal us in our lives. He doesn't want us to walk around with this facade like everything's perfect because let me tell you what, you want to be totally unusable by God, pretend you're perfect. Pretend you're perfect because uh, no one's perfect. Number one, there's only been one perfect man in the world. And when you try to, per, per, to project this image that you're, you're perfect, everybody knows you're lying. Now what are you known as? A perfect person or a liar? A liar. Listen, we can see right through hypocrisy. Well, I, I'm, I'm totally the most humble person I've ever met. That's the most prideful statement I've ever heard. That you can see right through it. And Jesus says we need to beware of it. He gives us four different things, four different ways that we can guard ourselves against hypocrisy here in these verses. The first thing that he tells us is that we as believers, if we want to guard ourselves against hypocrisy, we need to keep everything open. We need to keep everything open. Look at verse 2 there. Nothing is covered up that will not be hidden. or or nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. One way that we can keep ourselves from being a hypocrite is keeping our lives open and not hidden. Listen, warts and all. You ever heard that phrase? You know where that comes from? Oliver Cromwell, the Puritan Englishman, great warrior, soldier, soldier, you know, uh, statesman, he was going to be painted one day. And he, had, he was not a picture of beauty by any means. He had warts all over his face, scars, all kinds of, you know, different imperfections and blemishes on his face. And he was soliciting a man by the name of Peter Lee Lee, who was a well-known artist at the time for... Flattering his sitters, right? For those guys that would sit there, he'd paint them, the the ladies, you know, they loved him because he would make them a little thinner or in that case, maybe they want to be a little bit bigger, you know, back in that day, that might have been cooler, I don't know. But he loved to flatter the people that he would paint. Listen to what Oliver Cromwell said to him. Mr. Lely, I desire that you would use all your skill to paint my picture truly like me and not flatter me at all but remark all these roughnesses, pimples, warts, and everything as you see me. Otherwise, I will never pay you a farthing for it. Oliver Cromwell said, paint me warts and all. And that's where the saying comes from. The best guard against hypocrisy is to paint your portrait as it is. Warts and all. Listen. That's what makes the redemptive story of what Jesus has done in your life beautiful. You understand if you came to, to somebody and you said, yeah, I had it all together and uh, you know, I, I just felt like I needed to come to Christ just because I know that's what the Bible says, but my life was perfect and I was doing well, but I, I got Jesus too and so I'm okay. That has no impact. But when we're honest and we come to people and say, man... Let me tell you something. We're all sinners, by the way, and whether you've grown up in the church, whether you've grown up in a Christian home, you have a testimony, and you have. A, there has been, if you are a Christian, there has been a conversion that's happened in your life. Like you were one way, and now you're 100% the other way. Every one of us has that story, and God wants to tell that story through you. And if you hold back, then you're holding back the power of the gospel in your life and the way that it can be used in other people's lives. Be open about who you are. Don't try and shield it. Don't try and hide it. We all got problems. We all got issues in our life. And let me tell you what, you want the devil to have power in your life? Hide your stuff. Hide it and give him all the power. Give him some keys to shack you up because that's what happens. Jesus tells us we're to be open. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how Bad, you want to hide whatever you want to hide. God already knows, number one, and He says it's coming out. That's what He's telling us in verses 2 and 3 here. He's saying that no matter what you do in your home is not private. God sees it already and it is going to be vocalized before all of heaven. One day. And everything that you ever do in your mind is not between you and between your two temples. It is being projected before the Lord, and He knows and it will make its way out. Whatever you whisper in the darkness, Jesus said, will come to light. There are no secrets. It's deceitful to your own heart to say, I can get away with this. For a moment, you can. But God will reveal it. God will reveal these things. That's what makes it beautiful. And the devil wants you to hold back. And he wants you not to tell anybody about your struggles. And he wants, you to tell, he wants you to act like you got it all together. And he wants you to just keep playing the part, just playing church and, and, and acting like this is all powerful in your life when you don't even pick it up during the week or anything. And you know a few verses that you quote or whatever the case might be. And, and God is just saying, just be honest and be real so that I can do some work. You want to guard against hypocrisy. Keep your life an open book. And I would tell you, brothers and sisters, that you need people in your life You need brothers and sisters. That's why God calls us into a body. This is not um, just a one-way thing where it's just just us personally giving praise to Him and and it has no effect on the horizontal. God has brought bodies of believers together for the purpose of us doing life together for community, right? We all say that. The reality is, is are we living in community? Are we allowing other people, brothers and sisters in our life, sharing in those dark moments in our life the wickednesses of our heart, the struggles that we have so that we have some accountability, so that we have somebody that can, can minister to us, that can keep us in check, some tangible Jesus, if you know what I mean, that can just come right up to you and you know you're going to have to face them every Sunday or, or at least you know, you have that communication. Do you have that in your life? If you don't, you need it. You need it. That's how you keep the power of the devil suppressed is by being open with brothers and sisters, by allowing them in your life so that there's no hidden things. Because as Jesus says, it will all be revealed one day anyway. And I would also say that sometimes God reveals things publicly on purpose because we're unwilling to submit to His voice before in private. That seems harsh, I know, but do you understand that the Bible says, the Bible tells us that you know, well, that's, that's later down in my notes. I'm getting ahead of myself. But Jesus tells us right here that everything's going to be known. And, and, and we need to, or, or I'm sorry, Numbers 20, 32, 23 tells us, be for sure your sin will find you out. God is going to reveal your sin because he loves you. And because he doesn't want you, he doesn't want to see you sit there and tread water. He wants you to grow. And sin hinders that process. And so sometimes God is speaking to you. And you, you, we've all could, could testify of this all day long of how the Holy Spirit testified in our lives and just continued to speak to us about a, a certain thing. And we weren't willing to hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll get to that later. I'm not going to do that now. No one knows. I'm fine. I'm able to handle this. You know, nobody else. It's not affecting anybody else. I'm good. I got this under control. And you're a raging Alcoholic. I got this under control and you're, you're you know, in, in, in the dark hours of the night, you're on the internet scouring around. I got it under control, though. And God would say, I'm going to warn you that it's not beyond me to bring it out. Not for the sake of public humiliation, by the way, but for the sake of your own good, because I love you and I want to work in your life. God wants to reveal sin in our lives and He will at all cost because it's coming out anyway. Jesus is telling us here that all we have to do is live a life open before Him. There are brothers and sisters and we'll guard against hypocrisy. The second thing that we see is that we must keep our fear vertical and never horizontal. You want to guard against hypocrisy? Keep your fear vertical and never horizontal. Check out verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. If you and I are going to defeat hypocrisy in our lives, we're going to have to make sure that we care more about what God thinks than what man thinks. The fear of man is the basic cause of hypocrisy. That's why we pretend to be something that we're not because we care more about what man thinks about us than we do about what God thinks about us. And depending on the circle that we're walking in, we can either pretend to be a whole lot more godly than we are or we can be, pretend to be a whole lot more worldly than we are a christian's kind of in this conundrum because they you know if you're living in hypocrisy you're trying to straddle the fences and you're trying to live in the world and you're trying to live in the church at the same time and you can struggle on both sides what a miserable way to live your life what a miserable way to live to try and straddle the fences and to think that oh, i'm faking everybody out on sundays i'm mr godly and on on Saturday nights, I'm Mr. Party, you know. Uh, listen, it's a terrible place to be in, in your life. It's a terrible way to try and live your life. Because once you start to try and be somebody that you're not, you have to keep it going. You, you can never come out of that character. And in order to play the part, you have to... Uh, all of this stuff is built on deceit, right? It's all built on lies, so when you start to play that part, you start to tell lies and then you have to remember the lie you told that person and then you, you just continue to build a web of falsehood before you know it, you're all tangled up and shackled and, and you're wondering, what, how did I get here? Trying to be somebody you're not. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 29-25 that the fear of man lays a snare. You know what that is? It's a trap. The fear of man is a trap, it shackles you down, it binds you down, you ever seen the, the movie Chronicles of Narnia, the, the first one, where Edmund, he, 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 you know, they pop through the closet, through the wardrobe, and, and it's all snowy and stuff, how awesome would that be if you were a kid, you know, you're just like playing around, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm in another world, holy cow, that'd be awesome, man, I, I wanted stuff like that to happen when I was a kid, but Edmund, he pops into this other world, right, Let's call it the spiritual world, and Edmund is in there, and Edmund finds this witch, and this witch befriends him and is all nice to him, and oh, yeah, Edmund, I love you. Do you want something, Edwin? Boy, I sure would love some Turkish delights. Boy, that would be swell. He's in the middle of the winter, like out she's on a sleigh. I mean, how's she going to get Turkish delights? And all of a sudden they just materialize before him, and he takes those Turkish delights. And now she has him hook and sinker. So Ed, so here's the thing about the devil. The devil doesn't just pounce on you right there. He sends you on your way. Well, I've got him. I've got him. I'll, I'll give him a little bit, of, little bit of room. It's like cats, you know, playing with mice. They have no chance. They just sit there. My cats just bat them around and have fun with each other. I'm like, that's sick, man. There's something wrong with him. But, but Edmund goes back home. He tells his his family, all this stuff, and then they're, they're just like, oh, whatever, you're such a liar. And, and now he feels devalued from his family, so he goes back. He's thinking, well, that queen said she'd take care of me. He goes back into the, into the, into the um, wilderness, and he finds her. And immediately he says, can I have some more Turkish delights? Immediately, he becomes shackled. She's like, Turkish delights, get over here. She throws him in. He is now in prison. And that's how the devil works, and that's how the fear of man ensnares you. And just like that, you think you're fine, you think you can handle it before you know it. you're doing stuff you never thought you'd do, because you care more about what people think than you care about anything. It's a trap. And the Bible warns us about it. Don't get trapped by the fear of man. Jesus says fear God and you'll never have to worry about being a hypocrite. Listen, when you and I have the proper view of God, who he is, we won't have any fear of what man can do to us even if it means death. Because death is not the end for anyone, by the way. All of us have a life of eternity that we will live. The fear will determine where we stay. If we fear man... that will determine where we go. If we fear God more, that will determine where we go. It's all based on that premise. Jesus is telling us, listen, don't fear man. Man is going to try and make you. He's talking to his disciples. He's telling you, me men are going to try and make you do all kinds of things. They're going to try and—I mean—and you've seen it over and over again throughout the Old Testament, of example after example of the man of faith, Abraham, who, who with fear of man, was afraid that he was going to die, and and you know he's going to get, be killed twice by two different kings as he was walk going through, as he was going to the land that God would call him to, and he lied for the fear of man. Moses, David. On and on and on and on and on and on. Listen, if you think that you don't fear man, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself into thinking that you, that's not possibility for me because I love God. I know you love God. But let me just tell you, the moment you take your guard down is the moment the enemy has you where he wants you. It is possible for you to fear man. It is possible for you to deny the Lord. It is possible because you are not. You're human. You're imperfect. And Jesus says, be careful. Keep your fear vertical. Keep it vertical. Keep it on God. He's the one that determines your eternity. He's the one that you need to worry about. Who cares what I think? Who cares what you think? Who cares what anybody thinks? All I care about is what God thinks. And if I'm not careful... And I don't say that lightly. If I'm not careful, I will care about what man thinks. And I will care. And I'll start to live my life for man. And I'll, oh, but they want to do this. Oh, well, they want to do this. And the next thing you know, we have a man-centered church being ran by man because we're we're man-fearing people. No. We have to keep vertical. We have to stay vertical. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Keep that high view of God. Do you know why we start to fear man more than we fear God? Because our view of God diminishes and our view of man increases. How does that work? Because when I read the Bible and I understand who God is in comparison to man, and I think of those things, oh, Lord, you know, David says, who are you that you're mindful of me, man? I mean, I can't even believe that you would think of me, that you know me intimately and yet you still love me. I mean, you're so much higher, the Bible says, Higher your thoughts and your ways than are than my thoughts and ways, you know. He's so much more loftier than us. And somehow in our, our finite minds, we can reverse the roles and we can make man higher in our mind than God. Beware, he says. Beware. Jesus says you want to fear somebody, fear God. Fear him. He is contrasting here the temporal life with the eternal life. He is saying that you can fear man and it might do well for you temporarily because this life is temporary or you can fear God which is eternal and it will be forever and it will go on forever and ever which is greater but I care about what everybody thinks you see how easy it is to be trapped that way Jesus says, fear God. Just keep God the focus of your life. Keep him in your life. The moment you take the gas off the pedal and you get your eyes off of him down on the horizon is the moment you're going to begin to battle the fear of man. Keep your eyes vertical. Keep your fear vertical. Jesus is telling us that God is sovereign over even death. The one we should fear is the fear the one that's sovereign over death, and the one that is sovereign over death is the Father. Jesus says, fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Even if man were to take your life for being honest about who you are, somebody to walk up to you and say, are you a Christian? And then boom, they shoot you. It's happened. Guess what? You just got your bus ticket to heaven. Is that so bad? No, 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 I want to live in this another at least maybe 20 years because that's all I got, but I'm going to hold on to this life as much as I can because I fear you more than I fear God. Pull the trigger. You know what I mean? What do we have to fear? Death has no power over us. And I'm not saying be radical. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the Bible calls us to radical thinking, no. And that we're to abandon everything to make crown uh, crown Jesus the Lord of our life. Everything. He has to be king over everything. He has to be more important to you than anything, including your own life. And God forbid that ever happen to you. But if it should, put it in the balance. Later on, he'll tell us that we won't have to even worry about thinking about that because the Holy Spirit in that moment will give us the ability to do what we need to do. You just got to walk by faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. And when we start to become fearful, then we stop trusting God. We have to keep our view high of God and who he is. Jesus tells us that he's the one that can, has the authority to cast us into hell. Now Jesus said that. Jesus used the word hell. Jesus spoke about um, hell more than any New Testament writer at all. Jesus Christ is saying hell, and he's speaking about hell as being a real place. This isn't metaphorical. He's not just like, oh, well, maybe you'll go to hell. Like it's not really a place, but we're just making it up. He's talking about a real place. And that word in the Greek is Gehenna. Gehenna, and what it is in reference to is to... Well, during Jesus' time, it was a dump. But previously, back in ancient times, the Israelites in the valley of Hinnom on the south side of the Temple Mount, there's this valley of Hinnom and that is where they would sacrifice their babies to the Canaanite god Molech. They would lay, him, lay, him up, lay their babies up in the, in the scolding hot hands and watch them sizzle as worship to this Canaanite uh, you know, false god. And Josiah, the reformer, came in and said, enough of this. And he cut down all the high places and he got rid of that and he made the valley of Hinnom a trash dump where the the fires would never cease. They would be burning trash constantly and they would be burying criminals there in all this place. And, And Jesus is referring to that. He's illustrating what hell will be like. It's a terrible place. It's a stinky, ugly, despicable place. It's a dreadful place. Jesus doesn't want anyone to go there. And so he says, fear God. Fear the one who can send you there. And keep your fear on him. And not on anyone else. He goes on and he tells us, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Are not one of them? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Well, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You are more valued than the, than the sparrows. What, what Jesus just did, he's talking about you need to fear God. You need to fear God. There, there is that, that word is that reverential kind of fear, but it also is, don't, don't mistake this, it also is a trembling, fearful, frightening kind of fear. It's both. How many people in the Bible that ever came in the presence of an angel stood and talked to them when the angel showed up? No one. They fell on their face. That's just an angel. I promise you if God were to materialize right now, well, number one, we would all die because the Bible says that. Just his very presence would take our lives away. That's how awesome he is. And there should be that trembling. You know, I had a great earthly father, I had a, a dad that loved me and I knew he loved me and he disciplined me and all that kind of stuff. And I had both kinds of respect. Anybody feel me on that? Like your dad was a, a good dad and he, he disciplined you and everything. But there was that trembling kind of fear at times. Some of you didn't have that and you can't relate to that. And it was, it was um, you know, the, the authority was used wrongly. And I apologize for that in your life because that's not how it's supposed to be. You know, those who are are put in our lives that we're supposed to be able to trust, they are supposed to be an authority in our life, are supposed to use it correctly, and sometimes they don't. But the proper image of that is a father who loves their child, who disciplines them correctly. And I can tell you what, that there were times in my life that I thought I was going to die. Like I did something, I'm like, my dad's going to kill me. Like I love my dad and he, I knew that he loved me, but I also knew that he had a job to do and that there was an authority that he had in my life and he was coming down with the hammer and I was afraid and that's not a bad thing. Let me tell you something. That stopped me from doing a few stupid things, not always, but it did stop me at times. And I would say the same. When we have the proper fear of God, the same will happen. Jesus tells us, to, God now, fear God, yes, have that kind of fear, but also understand that, that we also, that God values you and he loves you and you don't have to fear him. Like, like it's an oxymoron kind of because Jesus says, fear God, fear not. But, but what he's saying is that when we have the proper fear of God, there is no fear. That's what he's saying. We have the proper fear of God, like all fear goes away. And we're in his presence and we're just like, man, this is awesome. This is incredible. I love you, God. And he values you and loves you. And Jesus is trying to counterbalance right away because he knows we're crazy people. And we would take this fear of God thing way too far. So immediately he comes, counterbalances right away with love. And he says, God loves you more than he, he he even cares about the sparrows, which are basically worthless. But God cares about them. And let me just tell you how much he cares about you. That he took the time to number the hairs on your head. Like he loves you that much that, not that he knows the the volume of hair on your head, like he has them numbered. Like he knows the DNA strand of every single piece of hair. He understands the, the little characters that each one of you, you know, the cowlick part, like he's got those numbered. He knows those ones. And every time you lose a hair, he's like, there goes 356, you know, there he goes. Some of you, you know, God is saying, man, you ain't got much left to lose. His, his, like, strike pads really just kind of crossed out, but uh, sorry about that. But, But the reality is, is that God loves you so much that he cares about even one single hair on your head, that he would number it and he would know it, and he would call it by name. That's how much he values you. That's how much he loves you. Listen, if we're going to be successful at battling hypocrisy, we're going to need to keep all things open. We're going to need to keep our vertical and never horizontal. And thirdly, we're going to need to openly confess Christ. Look at verse 8. And I tell you, (coughs) everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Jesus is obviously speaking about confessing him before men in terms of salvation to acknowledge him as your lord and savior of your life and if you do that he is saying that you can rest assured that i will acknowledge you before the angels of god like jesus is going to stand there when you walk up and he's like no they're with me oh oh yeah tim come on up here you're with he's with me god he's cool i'm god too but you know we're all god It gets a little confusing but i got it so he's got it but but here's the thing is, he's, he's, he is saying before all of heaven, no, no, he, he's with me. And all of heaven's like, whoa, look at that person's with Jesus, yeah, kind of thing. It's like Jesus is going to say, uh, if you acknowledge me before men, if you confess me before men, if you don't cower, but you confess me and you don't hide the fact that you belong to me, man, when you come to heaven, you can be rest assured that I'm going to I'm going to make it known that you belong to me. That's what he's telling us. But he said vice versa though, right? Also, if you deny me before men, I'm too afraid of man. If they find out I'm a Christian, they'll never be my friends. Oh, well. He says, if you fear men more, when you stand before the throne of God, I will deny you. But Jesus, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I know these Bible verses? Didn't I share the gospel? Didn't I do that and this and that? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Denial. You're denied because you were living hypocrisy. Don't deny him. Openly confess him. Don't ever hold back the fact that you belong to him. Ever. Ever. I can't wait to tell. So I, I try to figure out how I can tell people about Jesus, not how I can conceal him. How can I, like, tell them without being like some, you know, 10, 10 million candle watt, you know, beam that's going to just blind them? Like, I want to tell people about Jesus. I'm not trying to conceal him. Amen. We want to tell them about Jesus, not conceal him. Jesus says if you want to you deal with um, hypocrisy, you want to guard yourself, just be open about your relationship with him acknowledge him and continue to exalt. I'll tell you what, what's been incredible in my life, just in simple acknowledgements of Jesus, right? Like, so like I would go out, you know, we, Peter and I and Gus, we we're all partners in business, and, and one of the things that we always did with our clients is we would pray before we eat, and you know, I mean, with unbelievers, and so, you know, we'd be, we'd be in these big groups of people, man, and we'd be like, hey, you guys mind if we pray, and people, the, like the whole, like the record scratch happens, like the whole thing stops, and we are like, yeah, we're gonna pray, we're going to pray, and it didn't matter how cool the people were, right? We prayed because we acknowledge God before man. And it's incredible to hear the testimonies of the various different people that have told us, I can't believe this, that you would pray at a meal. That's how simple is that? To acknowledge him just simply like that, and literally it affected people in crazy ways to where it challenged even some believers to come out of the, come out of the closet. And be who they are. Listen, I tell you what, I don't care what you are on the horizontal. If you're a Christian, that is your identity. You're not a businessman who happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be a businessman or woman or whatever it is. Christian first. Don't forget that. Be who you are. Openly confess him, right? Number four, continually rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. Jesus wraps up this lesson on guarding against hypocrisy with a reminder to always be reliant on the Holy Spirit. It's Him who draws us to Christ. It's Him who seals us. It's Him who fills us. It's Him who makes us more like Jesus and we need Him every day of our lives. If we're not relying on the Holy Spirit, then we're relying on who? Ourselves. And you know what we're prone to? Hypocrisy. We'll start to be, try and be somebody that we're not. Try and be a little bit more godly than we are. Try and be a little bit more worldly than we are. Jesus begins to explain just how important the Holy Spirit is from the, from, from the very beginning. He says the Holy Spirit is so important that the only sin that will not be forgiven or not, is that unpardonable is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can tell you that this is the most misunderstood uh, concept, <laughs> probably even beyond the Trinity, man. This is the misunderstood concept of what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. You know, you have Christians that are all worried about, man, I said a bad word, did I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Or you've got, you know, you got people who, um, you know, maybe they have a family member who committed suicide or something. They're like, oh, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and all this kind of stuff. None of that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. None of it is. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to speak against The person of the Holy Spirit specifically. Jesus said, you speak against me, it's forgiven. Whoa. Jesus, you just said that if I don't acknowledge you before men, you're going to deny me. Yeah, but but if you do that and then you ask for forgiveness, i.e. Peter, you're forgiven. But the only thing that will never be forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Speaking against the person of the Holy Spirit. Who does the person of the Holy Spirit represent? Jesus Christ. What is his message? Jesus Christ. Listen to what John chapter 15 verse 26 but when the when the helper comes whom I will send you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me. The only message that the holy spirit ha- has is about Jesus. That's his message. He's about Jesus. He brings the message of Jesus. So if you reject the person of the holy spirit, you're rejecting the gospel. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's to fully reject um, the gospel. And let me just say that if you're ever worried about committing that, you haven't done it. If you're worried about it, you haven't done it. It is a thoughtful thing. It is something that you intentionally do. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care about God. I don't care about Jesus. I'm done with that. Don't ever talk to me again about it. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to God. Colossians, our, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can call Jesus Lord. So when the Holy Spirit is ministering to every unbeliever in the world, trying to bring the gospel to them, and they're rejecting it and rejecting it and rejecting it, and I don't think this is just a, a one-time deal where you reject the Holy Spirit and, um, you know, then it's over. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. No, I, I think there comes a time in a life where someone fully makes that decision just like Pharaoh had hardened his heart and hardened his heart and hardened his heart and it eventually came to the place where God hardened his heart like he crossed the line there comes a line with the gospel where we cross it and it's over and we've made our decision and I don't know where that line is but I'm just telling you that it exists and God is saying you don't want to be on the wrong side of that line If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to get in relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to accept the message of the Holy Spirit, which is God sent His Son down on the earth to live a perfect life, to be crucified on a cross, to rise again from the dead for you, for your sin, that your sin could be totally taken away, that you could be made whole because He loves you and because He has a plan for your life. That's the gospel. And if you reject that message, then you are once again closing the door on the Holy Spirit. And I can't tell you when that time comes where you've closed the door for the last time. Maybe it's when you breathe your last breath. Maybe it's when you're 45 years old and you've heard the gospel so many times that you just shut the door yourself. Don't know. Jesus is saying don't be on the wrong side. He goes on to tell us as believers, that we need to rely on the Holy Spirit our entire lives because we're going to be put in positions where we're going to have to give an answer that we don't have answers for. And he says, don't worry about it. Just rely on the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. Every one of those 12 that were sitting there, minus one, either gave their life up for Christ, were put in positions where they had no answers, that they had to give answers, Every one of these guys Jesus was talking to was going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to be successful in battling against hypocrisy in their life. So Jesus says that to them, but he also says it to you today. We need the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about what we're going to, how am I going to witness to this person? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? We just, Lord, give me the words. And and, and it's in, in trusting and relying on the Holy Spirit in those moments that he, teaches you, right? That's what it says. He's our teacher. So he's going to teach you what to say in those moments. And you're just going to verbalize what he says. How simple is that? Can you, can you say, what, can you repeat something that somebody tells you to repeat? I think you can. So, uh, hey, you're a prime candidate for a voice box for God. If, if you'll just be willing to repeat what the Holy Spirit tells you to repeat, you'll be good. And it will be powerful. We don't have to try and make it all up. We can just let the Holy Spirit speak through us. And I can tell you in my life, I would say that this is an area that I struggled with. I always wanted to be prepared for, to give an answer like, you know, and, and that's not to shuck studying, that's not what I'm talking about, but I always wanted to be prepared in every instance. So man, it, it, I started to go down a line, I would just exhaust that line and try and get all the answers and answer all the questions that I could think of, which is pretty minimal because my brain's not big. But, um, but the idea was that I could be fully prepared and I was never prepared. And it was the fear of man that would, would would cause me to do that rather than just love God and trust him and just be simple with the message. I would tell you that if you're hamstrung by your knowledge, by your wisdom, by what you have to offer someone, then you're not relying on the Holy Spirit. You're relying on yourself. But if you would just pull back and just say, you know what? I'm not gonna make this about me, but I'm gonna make this about him and I'm going to allow him to speak through me, you'll be amazed at how God will use you. The greatest orators, the greatest speakers, the greatest people that God has ever used are not those who have human wisdom, that are great speakers or anything like that. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He takes people that can't do things, and then he does them through them so that he can glorify himself, so that he can get the glory. And and Paul would say, You know, when he starts to do that, we start to get puffed up and we start to think we're something that we're not. Having begun in the Spirit, will you be made perfect in the flesh? Stay in that state of reliance on the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus gives us four different ways that we can guard ourselves against hypocrisy. We need to live in the open, not in the secret. We need to keep our fear vertical and never horizontal. We need to openly confess Christ as often as we can and we need to continually rely on the Holy Spirit. Do these things and you'll never have to worry about playing the part of hypocrite. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the, 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 the tools that you've given us this morning to be able to battle against hypocrisy. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here This morning that is battling that. That's trying to be somebody that they are not. Lord, that they would have heard a message this morning. (coughs) That would have just said simply. Be honest with yourself. Be who God made you to be. Don't try and be something that you're not. And for someone here this morning, Lord. Maybe they think they were in relationship with you. And yet, for some reason this morning by your spirit. They... Have recognized that they've never fully given their heart to you. I mean, they have been plain Christian, but they're really not Christian. And they heard your word that said, Fear the one who can cast you into hell. And that struck a chord in their life, struck a chord in their mind. And they want to confess you as Lord. Lord, give them the faith to do that this morning. Help them to see that you are a God who came to save us. You came to rescue us from our sin. And if they'll just call upon you this morning as Savior and Lord, that you will redeem them and buy them back from the debt of sin that they owe. if that's you this morning, as all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Jesus is asking you to acknowledge him this morning. If you need a relationship with Jesus this morning, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you're not in relationship with him, if you thought you were, and all of a sudden now you realize you're not, if there's anyone here this morning, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Is there anyone this morning that needs Jesus that wants to enter into that relationship? Father, we just thank you for, once again, giving us as believers a word as we ended our service, Lord, to rely on the Spirit. And I pray for my brothers and sisters for a baptism of Your Spirit in this place today. That we would be empowered to be emboldened to be the witnesses You've called us to be in this earth. And so, Lord, as we close in this last song, for those of us that want to be baptized in your spirit, that we would just call upon your name and, and receive what it is, the power that comes on high to be the witness that you've called us to be. I ask you to just flood this place with your spirit in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's word.